Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy our teaching time with our special guest speaker. morning, everybody. Um, it, it's really good for me to be here. Um, I send you greetings from uh, Faith Church in Sellersville, just down the road. And um, it's amazing. It's been 10 years uh, since John left our staff there. And uh, John um, was told coming up here this was a graveyard of church plants. But it just goes to show you when you serve a big God, he can do big things, right? And he is a way maker. He's a miracle worker. And uh, that is the kind of God that we, we serve. And so I, um, I just love the opportunity to be here. John's been such a friend and mentor to me over the years and has had an impact on, on my life. And so if the sermon today is terrible, it's his fault. <laughs> All right. So, but I, I do, I have a lot of affection for Upper Perkiomen Community Church. I love Love what you guys are accomplishing up here. Um, we pray for you guys and uh, have, just have a lot of deep affection uh, for you, many of you. Some of you I know, it's, it's really good to see faces from the past. Man, so many faces I've never, never seen before. And uh, it's just, uh, it's a joy to my heart. And uh, God's going to continue to do some amazing things um, yeah, through the ministry here. So uh, Romans chapter 7, I was read this morning. Um, I wanted to kind of walk you through a text that for me has had a profound impact upon my life. And uh, this text, probably more than any other text, gets to the heart of Christian living. It gets as closest to the heart of Christian living as any text I found. How many of you um, have ever been um, frustrated that you're not as good a person as you know you should be? You're just like, just not like, I've been doing this thing for a long time. I've been living the Christian life. And I, you ever felt like I should just be further along than I am, right? And that, that can be frustrating. Um, maybe you felt that God just isn't totally happy with you, right? You ever felt like God's maybe frustrated with you because you haven't gotten your act together yet? Like, there's been areas of growth, but then all of a sudden you look and you're like, man, I've, I've still got a long ways to go. And if I were God, I would be really frustrated with me right now. Be like, come on, I've, why aren't you, you know, further along in, in, in your growth? Why aren't you living a better life than, why, you're still struggling with these things that you're, you know, so we get this view of God that it's kind of like, man, God must be really frustrated with me right now. I know I've struggled with that. Just this inability to please him on like this daily basis. So what happens is this. When we come to Christ for salvation, right? We, we get forgiveness of sins, right? We get, we get new life. We get this, yes, I'm, 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 I'm a new creation, right? And then the tendency is this for most people. Turn around and, and say this. Because I'm a Christian, now I'm a Christian, it's like, now what, right? Got this new life, right? And, and the tendency for most people is to say, well, now I'm supposed to do 
all of the things that a Christian is supposed to do. Right? So what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, a Christian does this, and a Christian does that, and a Christian doesn't do these things. Right? And so, so the, the natural mindset, the way we're kind of wired as, 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 as people, as human beings, is, okay, I'm a Christian, and okay, well, Christian's supposed to do all of these things, and, and then not do all of these other things. And so I actually grew up with this kind of a mindset that um, told me this. Good Christians, right, like good Christians, you know what I mean? Like there's a difference between good Christians and bad Christians, right? And so good Christians, they do these things right here, right? You're in church, and uh, you give, and, and you dress a certain way, and you cut your hair a certain way, and, and uh, you know, you only listen to certain types of music, and you, you don't, you know, you don't consume alcoholic beverages, and you, you certainly don't go to the Run DMC concert that's coming to town, and uh, I, don't, I don't know why I picked Run DMC, but that shows you how old I just dated myself. Like, yeah, Run DMC. I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> I still have some deep, anyway. Um, so it's like, you don't do those things, right, because you're a good, so, so it's like, yeah, okay, so, so if I'm going to be a good Christian, right, one that God is just really proud of, right, and God is pleased with, then I've I've got to do all of these things over here and, and not do all of these things over here. And, and, and so um, you grow into this mindset that says, man, I, I think the reason God saved me is so I could be a good person. Okay? Th- this is what we call um, being wired for law. Right? That, that God saved me so that I could be a good person. Unfortunately, this is the mindset that we tend to walk in. And then, on the other, and then we get frustrated because we're not this person 10 years later that we, we know we should be. And unfortunately, outside of the church, this is also the mindset, right, that um, being a follower of Christ is about being a good person and keeping all of these moral standards, right? So you have these high moral standards so that being a Christian means I, I live this way. And so we automatically equate being a Christian with law, right? With living according to this moral code that's in the Bible. That's what being a Christian is all about. And unfortunately, this turns a lot of people away from the church. Why? Because they look at the church and say, well, I could never live up to that standard. So why even try? Like, I, I, could, I can't be like those people. My life is way too messed up for the church. So if being a Christian means live this and attain this moral standard, most people look at that and say, too messed up, too broken, you know, too much baggage. I can't do it. Or those in the church this is what happens in the church, pretend to be doing a lot better than they really are, right? Like, it's like, okay, everyone else, everyone else has, you know, their junk together, we think, right? Like, you all look like you got it all together here this morning, right? But I know you don't, right? So can we, can we just be honest enough to admit that, that we're all kind of messed up and broken and Right? But, but what happens is we come into the church, we're like, boy, they, they're holding hands, that couple. And, oh, man, he puts his arm around her. 
they must have a good marriage. My marriage is struggling, and it's not, you know, but, but hey, you know, like, let's pretend, right? Because everyone else is doing well, so I've got to do well, too. And, and this is what happens inside the church. And so what happens is we feel guilt about not being able to measure up or, or not being able to measure up to what we think other people are doing around us in the body. And so this guilt and this struggle and this striving to kind of climb this moral ladder, right, it just becomes exhausting, right? And it keeps you from actually enjoying the Christian life. So this idea that being a Christian is about climbing this moral ladder of perfection or whatever, we've got to kill that idea. Put it to the grave because there's something more to following Jesus than just rule-keeping and, and law-keeping. That's what this text actually talks about this morning. So what you see from Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, is you're actually set free from all of that. You're set free, set free from that. And what are you set free to do? You're set free to enjoy and pursue Jesus. So this text talks about producing fruit, Right? So producing fruit, is, it's important to God, right? So, so, so you're not antinomian, right? So, so here's, the, here's the struggle within talking about the gospel, right? And, and the Apostle Paul had to clarify this a lot of times because when you talk grace, all of a sudden, well, then you can live however you want, right? Are you saying, Doug, that this moral life, right, the law as, as defined maybe in the Ten Commandments is no longer important, that, then, you're, then you're antinomian, you're anti-law. Like, okay, so, so strong, high moral living, then that's not important? No, that's, that's in there. And so, so you have to wrestle with that, right? And you've got to wrestle with what it looks like to see spiritual growth and to see spirit, what, what this text calls spiritual fruit, to see fruit in the life. Because fruit in your life, spiritual fruit is really important to God. Okay? So the way we say it at faith is this. God will meet you where you are. And then he'll take you and help you take your next step. Our, our mission statement is we exist to help reach people where they are and then do what? Help them take their next step. Um, most churches have a very similar mission statement. We just word it all differently. It's called discipleship. You meet people where they are, you help them take their next step. And so God doesn't intend for you to stay where you are. However, what we find is this battle right, with not being able to measure up to this perfect standard. Like, how many of you have been struggling with the same sin for 15, 20, 30 years? And, and you're still struggling, right? And that can be defeating, that can be frustrating. And so we're going to work through this text and kind of unpack what it means to be set free to pursue Christ and how in doing that, you actually produce fruit. So if your focus is, I've got to produce fruit, 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 guess what? You're not going to produce much fruit. Rather, if your focus is enjoy and pursue Christ, because you're set free from having to keep the law, then God will produce fruit in your life. So the Apostle Paul says this. There's a lot of context here, but he, he, he's, he's talking the theology of the gospel and being dead to sin and alive to God. Like, what does it mean to be dead to sin? There's a lot of confusion. Like, because if you read this declaration from chapter six, you are dead to sin. Like, that sounds awesome, right? How many of you feel like you're dead to sin today? 
So sometimes there's these theological truths that are absolutely true, and then there's human experience over here that's like, I don't really feel dead to sin. In fact, sin feels pretty powerful in my life at times. You talk to someone who's struggling with addiction, tell them they're dead to sin. Like, I don't feel dead to sin. That, that sin has a draw on me, right? Okay? So, so being dead to sin does not mean you don't struggle with sin. It means that the new man that God has created within you through the Holy Spirit and the work of the Spirit has new desires and new affections. There's not a person who has the Holy Spirit abiding in them that doesn't want desire righteousness, right? Like we want righteousness. That's what it means to be dead to sin. I don't, I don't want in my spirit to pursue a sinful life. I want in my spirit to pursue righteousness and godliness. But the Bible says we also have this flesh, our, our mind and our body, that we still battle, that, that desire sinful things. And so with this struggle here, Paul says this in chapter 7, verse 1, Do you not know, brothers? For I'm speaking to those who know the law. He's speaking to, to Jewish people. They understand the old covenant law, Right? Do these things and you will live. All right? And then Jesus instituted a new covenant. This, this is why Jesus, when he preaches the Sermon on the Mount, what, how does he start? He says, don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets, right? Jesus starts with, with dispensing blessing and grace, right? You know, I mean, he starts out, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, right? I mean, he's just dispensing blessings like they're like, you get a blessing and you get a blessing and you get a blessing and you get a blessing, Right? I mean, Jesus did it before Oprah, and so, he, and so he's, he's, he's Sermon on the Mount. He's dispensing blessing, right? And immediately they're thinking, hold on, hold on. The law says, keep this, keep this, keep this. Then you receive the blessing. So Jesus is flipping it on its head with the institution of a new covenant that he's about to speak through. And what does he say? He says, blessed are you, blessed are you. So you get all of these blessings without having to keep the law, and well, you're abolishing the law. This is why Jesus says, do not think, brothers, that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them. I've come to do what? Fulfill them. So where you failed in keeping the law, Jesus what? He succeeded for you on your behalf. It's called his act of obedience. So, in fulfill, so, so, so that, that's so important in understanding this text, that Jesus came to fulfill the law for you. See, the law still stands over you as a judge, Right? It does. That's why Jesus would say, you've heard it said that do not uh, commit adultery, but I say unto you, if anyone looks on a person with lust, they've committed adultery in their heart. Guilty. Do not murder, but I say unto you, if anyone hates another, he's committed murder in his heart. Guilty. So, so the law does stand over us as this judge, and it just condemns us. That theme's coming out here, and that theme's going to come out in the book of Romans chapter 7. So he says, I am speaking to those of you who know the law. You know it. You know that it is, God's standard is not do your best. God's standard is keep it perfectly. That's what, that's what holiness is. So he says, you know the law, and that the law is binding on a person only how long? Only as long as he lives. So the law is binding on you. This old covenant law is absolutely binding on you, but only as long as you live. And so then he gives an illustration. His intent here is not to teach about marriage and divorce, okay? So we're, we're not teaching marriage and divorce. He uses the marriage and, and um, the death of a spouse as an illustration to illustrate what happens, all right, when we become Christians, when we become saved. He says this, for example... 
A married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives. Okay, we get this, right. Husband's alive, the woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, right? But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. If he dies, she is released, she can marry another, right? Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. Okay, so we get that. But if her husband dies, she's actually free from the law. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Okay, so there's the example. Husband dies, she's free. She marries another man. No one's going to look at her and say, adulteress, right? You were already married. And it's not, no, my husband died. Oh, okay, so she's free. Okay, so the husband dying produces within her a freedom to be joined to another. And so, so the illustration here is, is, is between the law and what it produces and Christ and what he produces. So before Christ, we are bound to the law. And, and notice what Paul says here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip a couple verses. Go to verse um, 5. For while we were living under, living in the flesh, okay, this is before Christ, before the Holy Spirit, when we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. So Paul says this, this law, take, take the, think 10 commandments right here. Think all of the moral codes, all of these rules that God says, do this or you will die, right? All of a sudden he says, the law only produces what? It produces fruit, but what kind of fruit? Fruit that leads to death. This is hard because isn't the law like good and holy and just and like, yes, but what the law produces is death. How so? Well, the law says, be perfect. All of a sudden, you're what? You're guilty. And so, so as soon as the law is given, What's Paul says, our sinful passions are aroused. You ever known a kid that, like as soon as you tell them not to do something, they want to do it? Like, don't touch that. But I have to touch it, right? That's kind of the idea there. Like, don't, don't do that. And then they, they want to do it, right? It's like you never wanted to do something until you were told you couldn't do it. Right? You were a teenager once, remember that? Like you never thought about it. Then mom and dad are like, don't do that. Don't go there. Well, now I kind of want to go there, right? Now I kind of want to do that. Like, you're not allowed to watch that movie. Mm, I didn't before, but now I do. That's kind of the idea here, that, that we are born as sinful men and women, and what the law does is it just exposes this brokenness, and it exposes our, our guilt. It, it, Paul would later say the law is our schoolmaster, right? It just, it just leaves us open before a holy God as guilty, and it produces what? This, this, this condemnation, right? So the law is a good thing that reveals in us what? Our brokenness and our sin. So we, as much as you try to keep the law, you can't. I'm going to try. I'm going to do better this time. I mean, last time, yeah, I messed up. But not, I'm never again, God. I'm never going to do that again. How many of you have ever made that promise to God? Never again, God, right? And like a week later, you're like, oh, I mean it this time. I mean, I, did, I wasn't serious back then. Now I'm serious, right? I grew up doing that all the time. I'd, 
I grew up in an uh, altar call type of a church. So if you came down, and uh, the altars were actually steps like this, and you prayed, at the, then it, it, was, it was real, right? And I'd be like, yeah, I made a decision that I'm never going to do that again, right? And the law just kept, just kept standing over me, condemning me, saying, no, you, you, you don't have it. You're not there. And so the law can only produce fruit that leads to death. That's what the law does. And as long as you're, you're married to the law, the fruit that will be produced will be guilt and frustration. That's what the law produces. The law rouses sinful passions, and when the law encounters flesh, we bear fruit for death. And the law is binding on you as long as you're alive to it. So the point here that Paul's going to make is we must die to the law and be joined to Christ in order to bear fruit. Because as we said before, fruit is important, right? You want to bear fruit. Like spiritual growth and taking your next step, those things are important. They're important to God. But you do not bear fruit by focusing on keeping the law. Because why? You have been released from the law. You have died to the law. So, in backing up to verse 3, Paul says, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers. Right? So take that illustration of a woman being free to marry another man because her husband has died. In the same way, brothers, or likewise, brothers, you have also died to the law. The law does not stand over you in condemnation any longer. The law doesn't just stand over you and say, guilty, 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 guilty. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You've died to that. Why? Because Christ has fulfilled it for you in your place. And so that God looks at you. This is what justification is, that God looks upon you not only as though you had never sinned, but as though you had kept perfectly the law just as Jesus did. And so this is what Paul means when he says you have died to the law. It doesn't stand over you in condemnation any longer. And regardless of how you live, regardless of what sins you're struggling with, this is the beauty of justification. Regardless of what baggage you bring into the church, God looks upon you as though you had kept perfectly every single commandment he gave. That's a glorious truth that sets you free. So that I, no, I no longer have to keep the law to meet some standards. Christ kept it for me. I'm free from that. I'm released from that. So that the Christian life is not about rule keeping. What is it about? Well, Paul tells you, you have died to the law, verse 4, through the body of Christ. Now here's the statement here that brings it all together. So that. Why? You have died so that you may belong to another. That is as close to the heart of Christian living, I think, that we'll get in Scripture. You've been released, set free from the law for this purpose, so that I can be a good person and keep all of the rules that my church and my pastor... Not, nope, nope. 
The scriptures say you have died to the law so that you may belong to Christ. So that you may belong to him in order that you they then bear fruit for God. Verse 6, we are released from the law. Having died to that which held us captive, the law will do that. But you've died to that. You've been set free from that so that we may serve what? In a, look at this, in a new way. God didn't save you to keep the law. You weren't saved for the purpose of rule keeping and and law keeping. God saved you so that you could serve in a new way. What does he say? The way of the Spirit. Not the old way of the written code, but in the new way of the Spirit. And so what we have now, having died to the law, I don't have to keep the law. Jesus kept it for me. So the law was that which, going with the illustration of marriage, was that that husband that stood over us and said, do this. Oh, you didn't do it. That's not good enough. Do this. Oh, you didn't do it. That's not good enough. You're guilty. You're guilty. We've been released from that relationship. And now we've been united with one who says, I'll take you as you are. All of your your baggage, all of your past, all of your failures, right? Like, Like, I'll take that. And I'll love you. And I'll I'll receive you. And I'll give you all of my resources. I'll clothe you in my righteousness. Like, you go from that law which produces death relationship to now I'm, I'm, released, I'm released from that to be joined to Christ, to enjoy Him, to pursue Him, to love Him, so that we are saved, released from the law, so that we may be united with Christ, so that we may know Him, so that we may pursue Him, so that we might have this relationship that produces now fruit, So that the fruit comes not through focusing on law. The fruit comes from what? Focusing on a pursuit of Christ. Enjoy Him. Love Him. Embrace Him. Pursue Him. And guess what will happen? The fruit will be produced. Fruit that leads now to life. This is the argument that Paul's making in this text. And it's a glorious truth. That we can say, God saved me so that I could know Him. So that I could love Him. So that I could pursue Him. And then on the days in which I don't, because there are days in which you don't do that, right? That his grace is more than sufficient. That his love is, is, is deeper than our sin, deeper than our failures. Why? Because we've been united and joined to him who fulfilled the law for us. We're dead to the law. We're united with Christ. So why did Jesus save you? So that you, you could be united with him. Enjoy him. Like the Christian life, even though it is hard, was meant to be a life of joy in Christ. So that that you can come into the church setting and be like, you know what, I'm broken. But I know that Christ took my brokenness and my guilt upon himself. And so I'm just loving him for that. And I'm just resting, like I'm resting in that. So I don't have to pretend to be good. And when I mess up, see, see the gospel is not about taking bad people and making them good. The gospel is about taking dead people and making them alive. 
So this summer, my wife and I will celebrate 20 years of marriage. And uh, yeah, she's a very lucky woman. <laughs> I tell her that every day. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So, so we got married 20 years ago, almost, and uh, so we, we do the marriage ceremony, you know, you, you do the ceremony, right, and uh, they pronounce you my husband and wife, and you kiss, and you walk down the aisle, and you know, you're like, we're married now, right? So when, when, when you go through the ceremony, what do you, what's part of the ceremony? You got to do vows, right? You know, I will love you and care for you and... All of these things till death do us part. Like how many of you remember the vows that you proclaimed? All right, a couple of you. I have no idea what I said that day. <laughs> Honestly, I committed to some, I don't know, I could have committed, I don't, I don't remember what I vowed. I don't remember what the vows were. I, generally, I committed to being faithful to her and loving her, you know. But specifically, I don't even remember what I said. I do, I guess. Some people write their own vows, right? Makes me sick, right? <laughs> you romantic type, like you're up there crying, you know. So that's fine. That's if that's you, that's great. That's not me. So, um, but so so you, you you proclaim these vows to one another, right? We vow to one another. You get done with the ceremony, you know. You head to the back. You look at each other, and you're like, "We're mar- we're married now, right?" Guess what we get to do now? I just got really nervous in here. We. <laughs> and you're like, where's this going? No, seriously, like, like you're like, we're married. Guess what we get to do now? For the rest of our lives, we get to keep vows. How awesome is that? Yeah. Yeah, baby. We get to keep, we get to keep vows for the rest of our lives. Like, is, is that the focus? That's why we laugh. Like, that's ridiculous. If you come to your bride on your wedding day, guess what? We get to keep vows for the rest of our lives. But isn't that the way we look at the Christian life sometimes? Rather, we get married. What do we say? I get to be with you for the rest of my life. We get to wake up next to each other. We get to love each other. We get to spend life together. We hopefully grow old together, raise kids. Like, we get to be together. The focus of our relationship is not the vows. If I wake up every morning, my wife says, well, why are you still here? Well, I made a vow 20 years ago that I would never leave you. <laughs> What kind of a relationship is that? But, but don't we do that with God? Well, I'm supposed to do this. Why are you in church? Well, I don't know. As a Christian, I'm supposed to come to church. Now, why am I with my wife? Because I love her. Because the focus of our relationship isn't the law. It's not the vows. It's what? It's the person. The focus of your life should be Christ. And coming to church isn't a duty. It's a delight. Serving him isn't, oh, I have to do this because I made a vow that I would do it. I, I, I love him so much. I love Christ, and he's freed me, and he's done so much in me. I, I want to do everything I can to know him, to pursue him. That frees you, right? Just frees you. Frees you to be broken, right? And let God produce fruit in your life. Frees you to pursue him. I'm going to have the worship team come. We're going to sing a couple of songs. But as we, uh, as we think about what it means to be dead to the law, and then in turn to be joined and united to Christ. Because as we think about that, what we have to then start to think about is, okay, what does it look like to pursue Christ? 
What does it mean to delight in Christ? What does it mean to find your source of joy, not in your circumstances, but in Christ? What does it mean to work through your junk, right? To work through your brokenness, to work through your sin, to work through all of those things that, that, that are frustrating to you while pursuing Christ? So this is where you know, it has to get practical for you, right? These are great theological truths that now you have to begin to think about how do I live it out? So you need to start thinking about what does it mean for me to pursue Jesus out of joy, out of love, not out of this old written code, not out of duty, but out of what Paul says is the new way of the Spirit. Fathers, we have focused on the gospel this morning. We thank you that you have fulfilled for us in our place the demands of the law completely and perfectly. We thank you that we stand in Christ as a new creation. We thank you that the old man has been crucified. We thank you that Jesus Christ stands as our advocate before us even now, pleading our case on the days in which we struggle and and fail, that we have a, a righteous mediator, Jesus Christ, the righteous God, we thank you for that. And because of who he is, I pray that our hearts would be stirred for worship. pray that our hearts would be stirred, uh, stirred to service. Lord, that, that we, would, we would see that the goal and the reason of our, our salvation is to be joined to you, to be joined to Christ. God, I, I pray that we would find our joy in that, in our peace, in our hope, in our confidence, in that, our union with Christ. Help us in this. Help us to know this and to believe it. In Jesus' name.